When you think of the word prodigal, what do you think about? We don't need to bring the mic around. Let me just get a little bit of feedback from you. When you think about the word prodigal, what do you think about? Wayward. Wayward. Rebellion. Rebellion. Good adjectives. Anybody else? Dinner. Sinner. Maybe I should have gotten hearing aids instead of going to Hawaii. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> when you think about the Bible story known as the prodigal son, what do you think about? Grace. Forgiveness. Good words. Strong. Despair. Now, now we're starting to get a little more honest. Despair. Sorry. Jealousy. All of this in one story, right? So... I thought I knew what the word prodigal meant, and I've always joined it with prodigal son, and I've always thought of it in relationship to this story found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, the prodigal son. But if you look up the word prodigal in the Webster's Dictionary, it means, first, characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure or being lavish. Secondly, Reckless spindrift, being recklessly spindrift. And third, luxuriant. I submit to you, God is the prodigal in this story. You ready? All right. There is a specific reason that Jesus tells this story. And here's what the Bible says. It's actually all the way back up in verse 1 and 2, not starting in verse 11, where the story begins in terms of chapter and verse. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. But this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. They weren't pleased at all, and they growled, he takes in sinners, and he eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Jesus then continues and, and tells three stories or parables, one of them about the lost sheep, the second one about the lost coin, and then the third one about the lost son. We affectionately know this as the prodigal son. But there's actually three stories in Christ's response. And what he's responding to specifically is, is the pharisaical idea that Jesus as a holy man representing God certainly shouldn't be fellowshipping with sinners or eating with them. And of course you have to understand to have a meal with a sinner in that time or a tax collector was just one of the worst things that you could do, you know, 
It, it was in and of itself sinful and, and looked down upon and despised by all of society. So you were careful who you invited over to your house. You didn't have meals with just anybody. And here Jesus was having meals with the rankest of sinners and tax collectors, inviting them over and inviting them to dinner and including them in and treating them like old buddies. And so you can see where that religious mind kicks in and says, why? How dare he be doing this? He's misrepresenting God. He's misrepresenting God's holiness. So he tells three stories. In chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, he tells the story of the lost sheep. It begins like this. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? I emphasize which one of you having a lost sheep. Notice the ownership there. The sheep belongs to the you in the story. The you is meant to be any of us. And of course, in that day, that time, that culture, he was talking to all of them, including the religious leaders of his day. Second story he tells, in starting in verse 8. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So we have the you, we have the woman, and then starting in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. So those are the three stories, all having to do with not the subject of being wayward, but the subject of you and how you treat others, and specifically how God treats us, because he then becomes the father in the story of the prodigal son. You see, in all three of these stories, the word lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, indicates ownership. All three, the sheep, the coin, the son, never ceased to be in relationship with the owner. You see, the religious mind often changes the good news from a story about God's unconditional loving acceptance into a loveless deposition of a legal case requiring proper acknowledgement of guilt, accompanying shame, appropriate verifiable repentance, repentance, and then a trial period for behavior modification. <laughs> right? <laughs> Salvation 101. You were lost. God found you, you came to your, you know, you came to your right mind and you repented and turned to the Lord and that's 101. That's the religious method. The younger son, known as the prodigal, doesn't change the father's mind about him. Rather, he is greeted by his father running out to him from a distance. He notices his son at a great distance. The, the, the text says, which means he was watching for him. Ever since he had left the house, he had been watching for him. Now, if you don't know the backstory of the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son, very quickly, so this father had two sons, one elder, one a little bit younger, and he was a man of means. 
And the younger son came to him one day and said, I want my inheritance. So his father dutifully spread it all out on the table and got out all the paperwork and worked it all out and gave the younger son his inheritance. And that younger son, within that week, left the house, it says, and went out and started spending the money on riotous living, having a great time, and then found himself poor, without any money left, and feeding pigs out in a field, shepherding pigs and feeding them. The scripture says he would have gladly eaten of what they were even feeding the pigs, but nobody would give him any. And that's where we come then current with what I'm going to be sharing with you. The question that Jesus answers in all three of these stories is why he hangs out with sinners and welcomes them and even eats with them. So let's pick up the story, the third story of the prodigal here in Luke 15, starting in verse 17. But when he, the younger son, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, here comes re re the repentance story, right? He's, he's putting all of his story together of how he's going to pray and, and ask for forgiveness. I'll say, Father, I have sinned against you against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy even to be called your son treat me like one of your hired hands so he set off and went to his father but while he was still afar off his father saw him while he was still afar off his father saw him while he was still afar off you can't run far enough from God you can't get away from his love. You'll never be out of his sight. Nothing you could do would ever take you out of God's love and his sight. While he was a still afar off, catch my place here, the father saw him, he was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but, <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, but the father said, he doesn't even let him finish his prayer or what he had rehearsed, this whole repentance story that he had worked out, how he was going to repent and, and come in shame and guilt and, and make things right and make promises and I, I just want to be one of your hired hands and uh, I, you don't have to give me anything. I, I'll just, I'll work for my food. You don't have to put me back into sonship. Repentance 101, religious mind 101. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. Notice the fatted calf was already there and ready. <laughs> get the fatted calf and kill it. 
And let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine that was dead is alive again, and he was lost and was found. Keep in mind what loss means. And they began to celebrate. Now, this son was not saved in the evangelical sense. He rediscovered how good the father's love and provision is. Ownership was never in question. He was never out of relationship with his father. His father, even though he had left, kept looking, was just ready, had a fatted calf ready, because he knew, he knew, he knew that he'd be back someday face-to-face with his son, celebrating. He knew. Even when your faith is not great, God's faith for you is big enough. There was no shame. There was no guilt. When he started into the conventional prayer of repentance required by religion, his father interrupts him. And notice, there was no record keeping of wrong. No record keeping by the father. He doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't go through a list of the sins. He doesn't say, now look, if, if you're going to come back here, you've got to change this and that, and, all right, you've, uh, and we're going to watch you for a good six months to a year here and be sure that <laughs> all the stuff we would require. No, the father here in this story that Jesus tells is operating in the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. God was in Christ personally, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has commissioned us with the message of reconciliation. Same thing that happened in Luke's gospel in chapter 7, verse 41. Jesus is telling another story, and he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled both debts for both of them. He just canceled their debt. See, that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness does not count. It does not keep count. Forgiveness does not require a blood sacrifice. It just cancels debt. And we learned on Easter morning why Jesus had to die and shed his blood. So you'll have to go back. You'll have to go back to that message, third one in the series, A Better View. Forgiveness does not count the cost. If God required restitution or satisfaction before he forgave us, then the Lord's Prayer, it would read something like this. Quote, We will forgive others' trespasses as soon as they pay satisfactorily for what they've done, just as you've taught us by the way you forgive us. That's not the way it reads, is it? Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Paul said, it's already done. We forgive as he forgave. You see, the description that Jesus uses in the word lost isn't about eternal fire or eternal conscious torment. It's about earthly slavery. Dear ones, if you live in a life short of what God has for you, and you live in a life, quote, of sin, it will be earthly slavery. Jesus makes that clear in the story. But at no time does Jesus ever bring up in the parable of the uh, prodigal 
or the, more correctly, lost son. That would be correct, of the lost son. At no time does he bring up eternal conscious torment. (laughs) Jesus describes the younger son's change as coming to himself having a revelation, peeling the curtain back, rediscovering who God is. I love this picture by Rembrandt. Now, this is one of Rembrandt's most famous paintings, and I want you to take a look at it here. This is the painting of the prodigal, okay? And let's go full screen with it if we could, and I have no monitor. I'm not sure what exactly is being displayed for you at this point, Uh, but if we could, go full screen with this, and I want you to notice a couple things here. First of all, it's a very dark setting, which is not the story that Jesus told. And then, notice the location. It's it's quite personable, seems to be kind of in a back room or a cave or something kind of dark that's going on. Well, that's not the story either. The father ran out to meet him as the son was coming up, ran out to meet him. And then it talks about how there was a celebration and a party. So, I mean, as beautiful as Rembrandt's painting is, the depiction of it is lousy. Theologically, it stinks. (laughs) He's got the location all off. Show show, uh, maybe a more modern idea of what that looked like. So the father was running out to meet him. It wasn't a closed, dark cave kind of setting. Now, and then, look at the father's facial expression in Rembrandt's painting. Here's a close-up. I mean, he's not looking very happy and joyous. He's kind of looking off to the side like, all right, I'm holding my son here, and now what are we going to do? What do I say to him first? You know, he's come back, but, you know, we've got to make this thing stick. So, uh, boy, we're going to have to have some sessions about his moral behavior, and I'm going to want to know where and uh, have an accounting for how he spent that money. And <laughs> no, the Bible says he ran out to meet him while he was still afar off, celebrated, wouldn't even let him finish his repentance prayer, and then says to his hired servants, Go get the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration. My son is home. He's rediscovered himself. Some people call it born again. There's so much theology there, but okay. So now, here's the other thing I wanted to focus on in this story of the lost son. His elder brother's reaction. Oh, you got to see this because there's, there's so much in it. So we'll pick up in verse 25. Here we go. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Man, that must have been some dancing, if he could hear them dancing. <laughs> Can you imagine? They were, they were having a party. They were having a good time, you know? Nothing about sin and guilt and shame and moral behavior and all that. He heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Everybody knew what that was and what it was for. He's killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. The elder brother became angry, and he answered 
He became angry and refused to go into the celebration, and his father came out to plead with him. Notice the goodness of God. Even when you're in this kind of situation and stinking thinking, and you're holding yourself out religiously, you know, from the celebration of God's goodness, God will still pursue you. God comes outside and just begs him, come on, come inside. Just loving him, even through his poor attitude. Come on inside. Come on, come inside. But he answers his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Talk about a statement of God's plan for your prosperity and blessing here. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, but he's come to life. He was lost. He never stopped being mine, but he was in slavery. He was lost, his life being ruined, but he's been found. Can I ask you, in what way does the elder son represent the Pharisee and his type of thinking? You know what the elder son wanted for his brother, right? He should go to hell. Look what he did. He deserves punishment, right? Punishment. At least punishment. You know what hell is. Hell is a way of celebrating what in your mind is what somebody else deserves as punishment, especially compared to your righteous life. So here's what 1 John chapter 3 says, verses 1 through 4 from the Phillips translation. Consider the incredible love that the Father has shown us in allowing us to be called children of God. No mere figure of speech if reality were to break through, you should reflect his likeness, for we should see him as he really is. You see, to look at me is to look at God. He's better looking, but I mean, you're looking at God. <laughs> I'm looking at God. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at God. See, we're not just supposed to be like him and supposed to be like Christ as best we can kind of thinking we have his DNA we, we actually reflect him when we look at each other you're, you're looking at God you're looking at God's love and that's this is why Jesus told the story remember how it all started Ooh, he's having dinner with sinners he's he's made buddies out of tax collectors how dare he he says he's a holy man. He says he's close to God, fancies himself a prophet. How dare he? And so then Jesus gives them what God is like. Can you see it? Do you see it? Do, do you see the lost son in a different light now? Do you see the word prodigal in a different light? I made this statement to you. The one who's prodigal here is God. God is lavish. God is exorbitant. God goes the extra 
to shower you, to spend on you. There isn't measure with how much God loves you and will bring you back and seek you. If you're a lost sheep, he'll go find you. If, you've, if you're a lost coin, he'll turn on the lights and search the house until he finds you. If you're a lost son, he'll wait for you and he'll watch the horizon until he sees your shape and then he's going to run go meet you. All right. I'm going to pose a couple of questions for you. I'm not even going to wait on you. Now, tell me what you've heard. Go ahead and respond to me and, and tell me what you've seen, what you've heard. But here's the first question to entertain. Do you see yourself in any of the characters of this story? Anybody? None of them? <laughs> I mean, we've got quite a bit going on in this story. None of them? You don't, you don't identify yourself with any of them? Go ahead. Is it on? This is the white one. Is white. it on on the hand? Okay. Woo. There it is. Um, I think for most of myself, or for most of my life, I saw myself as the older brother because I was someone who grew up in the church from age four always went to Sunday school, always tried to do the right thing, and I would see you know, other people out smoking and partying and doing things that I never partook in. And I was always the one thinking, like, here I am living my life in a way that is you know, honoring to God, and all these other people are squandering their talents and, and wasting their time and not doing what's right. Um, and it, there were times in my life where I felt um, angry and frustrated that someone could say a prayer on their deathbed, you know, as, as I believed at that time. Say a prayer on their deathbed and go to heaven. That bugged, that bugged so the daylights good. out of me. Not fair. Yeah, they can just live any way they want to, and right at the end, say a prayer. <laughs> Who else? Do you see yourself in any of these characters? I think I see myself as all three in my day-to-day -day walk. Um, there are times when I, you know, when someone is probably not doing the things that he should be and, and I will encourage them and say, it's, you know, you're on a walk, God will get you through this, that kind of stuff. And, and there are times when I am like Matt and I say, <laughs> take care of this guy. <laughs> You kind of go back and forth between them and float a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's me. I yeah. kind of float. I Sometimes go, I'm a lot godlike. Yep. Sometimes I'm the elder brother, man. Yep. I to fry them. Yes. Fry them, Lord. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there are, then there are times, of course, when I am the prodigal and I go on bended knees. <laughs> Please forgive me. You know, and realizing or thinking, you know, how could a, a God love me, you know, so, yeah, all three. At the close of service today, we're going to have a song written by Benny Hester, but made popular um, by, um, I'll try to remember the name, Dean, Dean, can't remember, it's a trio of three pastors that have sung Christian music for the past four decades. Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Phillips, Craig, and Dean did a version of it that just, I mean, you know, it spread all over the world. 
and uh, we have that song for you today. Comments? Anybody else? Okay, second question. Are there activities which should be punished rather than forgiven? Yeah. My daughter? Yes. Come on, Lisa. She's the older brother. Fry him, Lord. This is my, if she hadn't become uh, administrative and uh, human services and uh, what HR, she would have been a lawyer. She would have been legal. Well, uh, akin to this might be, but maybe not, because this isn't about punishment. I mean, sometimes people do need to be, for lack of better words, rehabbed. They need to, I mean, you know, someone that's killing can't go on killing. Yes. So it's not so much that I think, f from my theological perspective, it's not so much that I think they need to be punished, but if they can't control themselves then they have to be controlled from the outside, like jail, so that they don't continue along that path of yeah. harming other people. But, but I'm not saying that for the sake of punishment. I'm saying that more from the sake of the, they've got to stop such destructive behavior. Almost Somehow protection. They have to, yes, it protection protects them and others. Yes. Themselves yeah. and others. Yes, yes. And you brought it up the other day. We were having this discussion of, of some sort, and you reminded me uh, judgment is self-activated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously we reap what we sow. Reaping for one itself. thing, and so we tend, I mean, other than God's intervention in that reaping, <laughs> because of his grace and goodness, um, you know, we, our own hearts are marred and hurt and our own beings are hurt when we do those things, clearly. Whether, they see, whether a person sees it immediately or not, it's, it doesn't have to, it's not about God judging us, it's just we bring these things upon, sometimes we see this reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring and then it has a lot to do with sowing and reaping. In the story of the lost son, was he not reaping what he had sowed? He got enslaved, right? He, he, he was enslaved because of the sin that he was in. But that wasn't the father standing up in heaven judging him. And, okay, so we have a comment here, and then I'm going to pose this next question, which is related to it. There is a lot of mental illness, you know, that causes bad reaction in people. And it doesn't mean that they really want to commit the crime that they did. It's just they have a lot of mental illness. Really important point. And, uh, but I believe there is forgiveness, but then again, you do have to pay for the crime that you've committed, you know. So you're saying there's yeah. a consequence there, yeah, there's a, to actions, which there, would be a more modern yeah. way of saying sowing and yeah. reaping. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, but then again, um, like by law, you have to serve your whatever time, but by God's law, there's always grace. Mm. And his grace always forgives anything, you know, and I believe there's, there's nothing that you could do wrong that he can't forgive, mm. you know? Mm. And 
it's like, um, you know, kind of like that song by Mercy Me, uh, All I Can Only Imagine. Well, I can only imagine myself the time that when I um, get to heaven and just to see his grace, you know, and to see his love overcome all the mean, cruel things in this world, you know? Yeah. Because there's, we'll be surprised because there's people that here on earth that have done bad things, but if they find grace and forgiveness, then they'll be up there with us too, you know? They'll be in his kingdom too, you know? Excellent, James. And, and just keep in mind who finds who here. Who finds who? Now, the, the son came, quote, came to himself. He had self-revelation of God's love, but God was looking for him. The woman who lost her coin was looking for it. The, the you who loses your sheep, you go looking for the sheep. Sheep didn't come looking for you. See, so the relationship is always there. It's always there. Well, let me ask you, do you want to see people punished before you forgive them? Do you want to see them punished before you forgive them? <laughs> Apparently, we, we have at least an amen in the back, yes. From the sound booth. To try to stay on course now with everything, you know, with the recording and all now. Don't let it get to you. <laughs> Apparently, Jeff would like to uh, stand before some people. And uh, Do you want to see people punished before you forgive them? Do we have that slide up, that question? Good, okay. Isn't that a neat little, uh, the little uh, deal down here? Is that a graphic? Is that a called a, called a graphic? Yeah, I, I, I'm ignorant of these things. If you were the older brother, what do you think the father or mother should have done to your brother? Let's bring this down into the home now. What should mom or dad have done to younger brother? While you were growing up, did dad throw a party? <laughs> My sister was a drug addict. There were lots of instances in our home privately that nobody knew about and it was not a party it, it, it was beatings beatings until there were stripes beatings so severe that the walls just cracked with brokenness and guilt and shame and the horror of being punished that way. I called my brother. I was, uh, both my sister and my brother have since passed away. Uh, but several years ago when my brother was still living, I was walking through the aisles of Sam's Club. And I was thinking about my sister and I was thinking about the way my dad would treat her and the, the punishment that she would receive at, at his hands. And usually it was at the end of a belt. And uh, there were times where 
in my, inf- in my youth, I, I was cheering that. Like you said, I, I was cheering that. I was the older brother. And as I thought about this, walking through these aisles, it just came over me. How, how ugly, how broken that was, how, how sinful that was. How wretched that kind of attitude was. And I just began to cry. And uh, my dad did the same to my brother, but not to me because I had turned, quote, I had turned to the Lord first, and I was serving the Lord first for years. And I called my brother on the phone crying, and I said, Michael, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the way dad treated you. I'm so sorry for the beatings you endured. And I seemed to go scot-free. What in our world today might be similar to welcoming sinners and eating with them? If you think back to that culture, what in our world today would be similar to Jesus eating with sinners, welcoming them as best buds? Can you think of anything? that you might do? Yeah. I think um, this kind of goes to all of the questions. Every, every person, and, and what you said earlier, that there's mental illness and things like that. And I think that even when there's not mental illness, there are experiences that we don't know about in people's lives. And when we're dealing with someone who is, you know, what we would consider a sinner or someone who's off the path, Uh, or when we have to deal with someone who is treating us poorly because of something that's going on in their life, um, it's really easy to to vilify that person or to to take away that person's humanity. Wow. But instead of that, if we try and understand the person um, and try and give grace to people, I mean, I think even at work sometimes I can get really frustrated with um, leadership or things that are going on at work, decisions that are being made. But like, if you understand, or if you try and understand the person and you can develop empathy for humans and humanity, I think at the end of the day, we're all broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and everybody is on the spectrum of mental illness. And I would say that to a certain extent, selfishness is mental illness because selfishness is the motivation that causes us to treat others poorly. Um, And so there's really not these people are good and those people are bad. There's just a a continuum of of people, their life experiences that that create a persona, and sometimes that persona affects other people negatively. Mm. So. Yeah, 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 we need to publish that. Okay. We're after Linda, we're going to go to our song and communion. (laughs) Cynthia, excuse me. No, I was just thinking about like the homeless people out there, you know, on the streets. And I've heard my sister say and my husband say and other people, well, they're younger than I am. They could get a job if they needed to. They're just out there begging, taking our money and and they're spending it on booze and they're spending it on drugs and, and all these things. But if God tells you to give that person money, it's between you and God. You know, that, that's something that I just have a heart for that. And it's like, 
what they do with that money is their business between them and God. But I always tell them, God bless you. Jesus loves you. Yeah. You know, and make sure that I put some kind of word. I, I have a little bag I'll prepare with a little money and little Bible, you know, book or something. Just to tell them that God loves them. And I just don't see them that way. I don't see them, you know in that view and I think that's the same what what you were saying there you know somebody coined it this way the unsurpassable worth of every human being this happened to me in Hawaii a homeless clearly mentally ill person walked up to me on the streets of Hawaii when we were there and uh, the other three were shopping and I was by myself sitting on a, a curb and this gentleman clearly he had been walking the streets and acting out and and he walked up to me and started a conversation and one of the first things I referred to with him is brother I, and I just fist bumped him I said brother I want you to know your unsurpassable value and worth to God he so loves you and his eyes lit up and got big and he just he was taken back for a moment and what I think I saw for just a moment is that those words bypassed his mind and his illness and went down into his spirit. And maybe for the first time in human contact for him for many years, he felt the love of God. I'm not going to guide it, so we're going to pass out the elements. And when you are ready to take the blood and to take the body, you take it in your own time during this song there at home and here we'll pass out the elements now let's start the song the elements are being passed out again this will be self-served without any further guidance from me Then, 
Son, 